it's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey LaBounty and Nick Wiggins. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome to a Tuesday edition of the Final Drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Nick Wiggins joining you this afternoon. And we want to make sure that you jump right in on our conversations that are going to be taking place. You can download the free Sound of Mobile app to any Android or Apple device that you may have, and you can join in on our opening kickoff or final drive conversations. Of course, Pigskin Pete on Friday nights. We'd love to hear from you from a scoreboard standpoint as well. And today on the final drive, John Rachetti will give us a little golf update. Locked on SEC's Chris Gordy will be with us along with the voice of the New Orleans Saints, Mike Haas. And then at 5 to 6, Talking football with Scott and Tracy. That's the Chavis Furniture Talking Football Show from 5 to 6. So a very busy Tuesday afternoon for you. And the first 45 minutes of the show going to be wide open to hear from you. 251-694-1055. 251-694-1055. Want to talk to you about some of the things that we discussed on the Let It Marinate Monday edition of the final drive, that being Alabama's naming of Jalen Milrow, QB1. Is he the answer to the Alabama Crimson Tide for the rest of the season? Will he make it the rest of the season as QB1? Also catching up with the NFL action from last night, the New Orleans Saints. It didn't have to be pretty, but they find a way to defeat the Panthers 20-17, to and that St. David lock pick. He had that guaranteed lock. That's one of the things, it's one of the reasons I do not gamble is when you do make those locks, you got to make sure that you unlock them. So, St. Yeah. David, I know that that's a tough one for you to accept there, that the Saints could not keep the Panthers out of the end zone last night, but they found a way to win it, and they are now 2-0. and Cleveland and Pittsburgh was a great game to watch last night. The Steelers are winning ugly as well. But you hate to see what happened with Nick Chubb and that injury that he sustained last night. You yeah, know it has to be graphic if they don't want to show the replay. And you could just hear 70,000 people just gasp as they did show it on the big screen I mean, there his, his with leg Pittsburgh. bent the opposite way. It was a right angle, but not at the hinge where the knee normally bends. And this is the same knee that he injured at Georgia back in you know 2015. I don't know. It's going to be tough, man. Like, I don't want to ever count a guy out, but the odds aren't in his favor for him to get back to Nick Chubb. I think I at least think he's a top three running back at his with, you know, by his running ability. It's going to be tough, man. I, I will say this. You, you, you don't know whether he will come back and be at that same level in which he's been because the average lifespan of any NFL player is only three years and that of a running back is even shorter but coming off of such a catastrophic hit 
and it was not intentional. It was just accidental. It's part of playing that game. But he's not getting any younger. And scientific facts will prove to you that when you do get injured, it takes a little longer when you become older for those injuries to heal. Now, he has the best athletic doctors and training facilities that anyone could ask for in the world to make a comeback. But to be an elite NFL running back, you would hate to see his career end the way it did. And because of that, if Chubb wants to come back and has a desire, I'm waiting to see that tweet to say, hey, look, I'm not done. I'm coming back. Expect me to come back, not bigger and better, but just to come back to even be a serviceable backup in the NFL. Well, and, you know, more big picture things here. Nick Chubb just got a nice deal, like as far as running back deals go. And he gets injured, and then his backup, Jerome Ford, comes in. 16 carries, 106 yards, averaging nearly 7 yards a carry. Just big picture, that's not doing any favors for the running back should get paid more conversation. Whenever the backup comes in and immediately has an amazing day, this is a guy that's getting paid the league minimum and able to effectively fill in for a player of Nick Chubb's caliber. And now I'm not saying this guy is as good a running back as Nick Chubb, but when you look at the production, it's it's just not doing any favors in that whole payment argument. I will say this, that at one time we've had this conversation about the quarterbacks ultimately getting paid the big bucks the right and left tackles being paid the big bucks, running backs and their demise, I think it's going to have to continue to be incentive-based because Saquon Barkley, yes, that high ankle sprain is going to keep him out for three weeks. Yes, Chubb's injury is going to keep him out for the entire rest of the season. But when you have – you look at the sidelines and Saquon Barkley, I think he's more frustrated knowing that not only did he have that high ankle sprain – But his $12 million contract was established itself with incentives and being incentive-based. And I think that's one of the reasons that the owners are going to continue to say, all right, I'll give you what you want if you hit these marks, Yeah. if you hit these goals. I mean, I think that's a pretty fair trade-off, right? I think, okay, let's say this. If a running back breaks the rushing record, Right. Let's say a guy runs for, you know, I think it's what, a little over 1,900 yards. I don't think it's 2,000. It might be. But let's say like a running back does that, a running, like just the best season of a running back ever. Like if Christian McCaffrey had a year like that, there should be incentives in his contract to where if you hit these crazy peaks, you should be right around being the highest paid player on your team. If you have a year like that, would you, would you agree with that? I think that if you have a great agent and you're able to go ahead and max out, that you are going to have an incentive-based contract if you do hit certain peaks and plateaus anyway. I mean, I I was watching Najee Harris last night. Najee, considered to be one of the young and upcoming running backs, 10 carries for 43 yards. Anytime you have your own fans when you have the lead booing you, that's an issue. You look at Derrick Henry, and I know there's a lot of used wear on Derrick Henry's life, but against the Saints in week one, Derrick Henry was nowhere 
to be found. Najee Harris, he's got like a slow step, I feel. Like when he gets that ball, you know, running backs, they kind of hesitate before they hit that hole or make that first cut. He's just got such a slow step that, he, I mean, he's getting one yard a carry, two yards a carry. When Pittsburgh was trying to just run that clock off, it just didn't do anything. Look, we got, you mentioned St. David and his Panthers pick, or, you know, Panthers not supposed to score a touchdown. He has some comments. Come on with it, St. David. Welcome to the final drive. Appreciate you for calling today. Man, how close was I to being so right? Close, very but close, no cigar. Very close. You almost put in Nick Wiggins there, but <laughs> not, not quite enough. I know. If it wasn't for that last cheap touchdown at the end of the game, I'd have uh, been calling and I'd have been gloating. But, uh, uh, Corey, I still disagree with you. That I think the uh, South Alabama game uh, was the biggest win in the uh, in, Saints, in, in program history. I know that you said that the Mississippi State uh, game is a bigger win, but I still think the, uh, the beatdown they put on Oklahoma State. I mean, anytime you when you're a group of five a program like South uh, and you can put a beatdown on uh, a, a school like Oklahoma State, that uh, for a young program like South, that's uh, you know, that's got to be the, uh, the be the top uh, victory win in their in their program. But man, I was uh, I was like I checked I was checking the score the whole night, and then I was like, yes, I'm going to be right. I'm going these guys are going to be like uh, uh, St. David's impressive. And then all of a sudden, that last touchdown, I was like, come on, Bryce Young, you can't uh, you can't do an Alabama 2023 for me and just stink it up for me. Anyway, Roger Goodell still sucks. Peace hey, out, guys. Hey, I ain't mad at you, St. David. I will say this, though. My man John Witherspoon from Friday say, you win some and you lose some, but you always keep fighting. So, St. David, keep trying to make those locks. We'll go ahead and entertain your call anytime you want to go ahead right. and make a prediction. That's just fine. That's part of what makes fans fans, and well, I will you know, agree. You mentioned that South Alabama game versus Oklahoma State. We actually have some comments here from the Oklahoma yeah. State head coach when they were asked about that game. Well, South Alabama clearly is a good team. And they beat, all kinds, of, team. beat all kinds of people. But the, the dominance they showed, it seems to be a, a red alert for, you, for your team to be dominated like that, beating 33-7. Well, we got exposed. I mean, when we went into the game, what happened to us is what we have to avoid happening to us because we're not far enough along, we're explosive in us, and then we got set back when Stribling went out of the game to be able to get behind and rally back and then be able to rush the ball some and balance the game being down three scores. Then defensively, we get into a different mode because now we're trying to at least just get on top of them, come after them, stop them, get the ball back as quick as possible because the clock's working against us. So we kind of get out of our box in both sides. Um, and I'm not saying what they, what you're saying is not correct because the, end, the final score ended up being that way. Um, we don't get to do this, but I'd love to have a chance to play them again. Unfortunately, we don't get that chance. But I said this in here last week. They, they're good enough to play in a Power 5 conference, in my opinion. And I think uh, he's doing a really, really good job coaching. They have good coaches, and they're getting good good players. You know, they put, I'll be wrong with my numbers, but they put like $100 million into facilities there. I don't know if you guys know this. Um, they, have a, they have the largest indoor football training center in the state of Alabama. 
and they're within a four-hour radius of a lot of football players. That's going to be an up-and-coming program. The guy's doing a good job. We still played poorly and didn't execute and didn't get it done, and we sh we still we, we we should have played at a higher level and give us a chance to win the game. But what you said is correct. They are a good team and they've got a good setup going on down there. High praises from Very one high. Mike Gundy, the head coach at Oklahoma State, who said he's a man. He's forty, but when you look, no lies detected. By I didn't Coach know that Gunn. we had. Is that true? The the largest indoor absolutely what was it, football absolutely in the state of Alabama. Oh, that's interesting. Absolutely, and that's why when you look at what Kane Womack has been able to transform and develop, that's kind of why it's so disappointing to a lot of fans. The dud that was laid against Tulane mm -hmm. and the comeback and the purpose that was shown and the capabilities of South Alabama to play up to the expectations not only of their coaches but of the fans as well on the road against a Power 5 school. And going back to what St. David was saying, I still think that it was easiest, the most dominant win over a Power 5 school because Mississippi State, they beat them by one when Joey Jones was the coach first game of the year, again mentioned yesterday, in that game that South Alabama beat Mississippi State in Starkville, favored by four touchdowns with Mississippi State. Mm -hmm. And I know that this is a, a great football team with a lot of returning players and leaders. And the win cannot be put and swept under the rug by anyone. It definitely gained national attention, as evident as Cheez-Its coming in and That's giving right. all those free Cheez-Its to the University of South Alabama being the Cheez-It National Team of the Year, and they're one of the big bowl-time sponsors. So when you go and you whoop a Power Five on the road the way the South Alabama did, I commend Coach Gundy for giving the props where props are due, which is with Co Coach Kane Womack and what he was able to accomplish. Yeah, for sure. I mean, very rarely, I feel, do you see a coach give that much kudos right after an L, but – it did seem like that reporter was kind of rubbing it in his face, like, man, they just were so dominant, weren't they? And he was like, okay, calm it down, look. But I don't know how – I don't know how good Oklahoma State is. It's still so early. I mean, they are in a power five. Um, I will agree in the app, Tulane definitely is better than Oklahoma State. Tulane beat USC last year. Tulane was right there in it with Ole Miss. Tulane is definitely better than Oklahoma State. They are. But they are. But and and that's why South lost to them and that's why South beat Oklahoma State. Now from here on out, I don't know where South's season goes, but it, it looks I would say it's looking pretty good. And that's gotta jolt some energy into that locker room having that dominant, the most dominant win in South Alabama football history over that caliber, caliber of a program. Yeah. And, and I know that you only have one other win against a power five, that being Mississippi State, okay, at Mississippi State. But Oklahoma State, it just goes to show when you don't have that true starting quarterback and that go-to quarterback, I mean, Coach Gundy's son is the quarterback at Oklahoma State, and he just didn't do anything that was magnificent against the South Alabama Jaguars. And, and, and credit – to coach Corey Patoon and, and that defensive squad who came out and wrecked shop and 
came out and punched early in the mouth. They had their first defensive stand. They shut out Oklahoma State the entire first half and and found a way to get it done and made a lot of people believers. And, yes, would have beat Ole Miss if they had their starting quarterback. Tulane would have. And you see the type of precision passing he put on against South Alabama in the first week. But at the same time, South Alabama – did represent and coach Gundy he knows the type of talent that's down here along the Gulf Coast that's he knows right. about sure he's that I-10 to recruit quarter. some of them right he, absolutely the and I-10 quarter Joey Jones said it when he became the head coach at South Alabama look we are loaded here along I-10 yep. I-10 Pensacola all the way stretches out to Texas mm-hmm. and you're in great shape when you can recruit within that four mile radius to where outstanding football is being played well, you know and, y- and you mentioned the quarterbacks and how having that quarterback gives you such an advantage we're seeing that across all of college football this year in the NFL I mean, think too of, think of like the most dominant quarterbacks in college football right now Caleb Williams Shadur Sanders Riley Leonard and look, all those Absolutely. teams are undefeated, and all those teams are having really good quality wins. And then you look at these teams that are maybe a little iffy at the quarterback position. No matter how much better the roster might be and how much higher caliber of a program it might be, if those quarterback question marks are really big, then it it's like it trickles down all the way through your team and down your depth chart. And it makes winning games tough, even if you have five-star players across your entire, you know, offense and defense. If you don't have that lock, lock guy at quarterback, no win or no game is a guarantee. Well, I will say this. Someone in the app says there is no great team in college right now. It's wide open, roll tide. And it is wide open. I I think that that's part of this beautiful part of 2023 college football, the parity that has entered. And now when you go to divisionless football a year from now, and when you also look at expanding the college football playoffs to 12, it's going to be even better. Now, someone else in the app says Oklahoma State are frauds. Do I think they're frauds? No. I think they're really going to struggle. In the Big 12, I think that they'll finish probably somewhere in the bottom half of the Big 12. Can you be a fraud if you were never pretending to be anything No, in the first point? What's fraudulent? I think that when you look at Oklahoma State, they're going to be in some games that they probably should not be, but they're definitely going to have to have great quarterback play, and you mentioned the importance of it. He actually is correcting himself. He's not saying Oklahoma State is frauds. He's saying South Alabama is frauds. Mm, well, I, I will say this: I'm, I, there's no way South Alabama is a fraud because like, you don't go on the road and win 33 to seven, right. in which Vegas odd makers, the ones who love to take all your money, and there's only a seven point line if South Alabama is a fraud. Uh, have they played their best football the last six quarters? Yes, they have. Did they play that against Tulane and in the first two quarters against Southeastern Louisiana? No, they did not. And Coach Kane Womack said it yesterday in his press conference. Don't want to get too high. Don't want to get too low. Just want right. to stay even keeled. Find a way to go ahead and take care of a great Central Michigan team that's coming down here and gave Notre Dame all they could handle. That's right. The definition of fraud, 
a person or thing intended to deceive others, typically by unjustifiably claiming or being credited with accomplishments or qualities. They're not being credited with any accomplishment that they did not actually get. They did beat Oklahoma State. They did beat Southeast Louisiana. They did lose to Tulane. I don't think anyone's saying... I don't, I don't see how they're being fraudulent. No, it's there, not there's like we're saying they're anything that they're Wyoming's not. Doing. Nothing fraudulent about what South Alabama is accomplishing and has accomplished and has still yet a lot to accomplish once they open up some belt conference play next week on the road but have to go 1-0 this week, 4 o'clock p.m. against Central Michigan, Hancock-Whitney Stadium. The final drive will be right back here on WNSP 105.5. Hi, this is Monty Burke, author of Saban, The Making of a Coach. You're listening to WNSP Sports Radio 105.5 FM. Welcome back to the final drive. And guys, two weeks of NFL football have transpired. Is your team 2-0, like Corey and I? Is your team 0-2, like Michael Bronner? It's your team one and one, so not too bad, not too good, just right there in the middle. Two teams played last night. Uh, we talked about it a little earlier with the Nick Chubb injury, but just a little more breaking down that actual game. First off, kind of messed me up in fantasy. They're saying Amari Cooper is going to be out, and so they're playing that last game on Monday. I put him on my bench. I start Zay Jones. He gets me zero points. Amari Cooper's on my bench with like 12. But anyway, I thought that the Browns had that game locked up and loaded. They had the lead. They got that nice first down on that toe touch, uh, you know, tiptoe pass. And then all of a sudden, and this is another thing. I use YouTube TV, right? You can see all the games on there. They got that little multi-view. I was watching both at the same time. But it's that stream, that uh, online stream, so you might be a little bit behind. So I'm just watching the Browns get a first down. And then all of a sudden I get a text from Corey. I don't even remember what it said. What, what was it that you texted me, Corey? You said, let's see. You said, new, new meaning of blank, blank, <laughs> and then some emojis. And I was like, what the heck is this guy talking about? And then as I look up at my TV, strip sack, TJ Watt, touchdown, whole game completely flips because now the Steelers are up. They're up. Weren't they up five? Yeah. So the Browns had to get a touchdown. Man, what a way to flip that game. And Kenny Pickett and Najee Harris, man, despite their lack of elite play and their offensive line not doing them any favors, T.J. Watt, man, he said, you know what? If, if the offense can't get a touchdown, I'll go ahead and get one. First touchdown of his NFL career as well. And let's look at these 0-2 NFL teams, Nick. The yeah. 0-2 NFL teams, the Bears, the Bengals, the Broncos, mm. you think it's a B-fest right there. You have the Cardinals, the Chargers, the Panthers, the Patriots, the Texans, and the Vikings. Out of those nine teams that are 0-2. Who do you think has the best chance of rebounding and making the playoffs? Because since 1990, only 11.5% of 
have come back to make the playoffs after starting 0-2. Well, I know the Cincinnati Bengals did it last year. But the Cincinnati Bengals, they're saying Joe Burrow might not even play next week. They're not looking right, man. Like, that offense doesn't look elite. He's not looking like he should be a top five highest paid quarterback. I know that line's not doing any help. They lost so many people on defense. Their defense doesn't look like it can get a stop. I'm worried about the Bengals. I don't believe in the Chargers, man. See, that's, to me, the team that's going to turn it around. See, I feel like everyone's always so high on the Chargers. Justin Herbert, top five quarterback. He blew the biggest playoff win. What were they up, like 30 to nothing when Jacksonville came (laughs) back last year? And no one cares. Everyone still loves Herbert. But God forbid Matt Ryan do something like that. He never hears Super Bowl. He has his own freaking commentating partners. Uh Messing with him about the dang 28-3 to three stuff. but Super Bowl. I just, I don't know about, I'm just not buying into the Chargers. Like, they keep trying to sell me the Chargers. They keep trying to sell me the Chargers, and they can't ever do anything. I think out of all the 0-2 teams, the team that has the most, the best 0-2 team, I think, is the Minnesota Vikings. I well, think they have one of the most elite offenses. It's funny you say that. Okay. Because guess who Herbert plays this Sunday. Oh, is that is that Minnesota Chargers? That's yes. interesting. So it's funny that you get the matchup there. Somebody's going to go 0-3 whether Someone. you like it or not. Well, they could so tie. Herbert is going to get a chance to prove you wrong, Nick Wiggins. He's going to have a chance to make the Minnesota Vikings 0-3 instead of the Chargers being 0-3. Kurt Cousins and that offense, I mean, they almost had the Eagles number, man. Almost. In Philly. Almost. Kirk Cousins is a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. That's facts. If you don't believe me, watch the tape, look at the stats. No matter how you look at it, Kirk Cousins is a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. And he's got the a top 5 receiving core that he can get it out to. Hawkinson, there's a reason he's the highest paid tight end in the NFL. He had two touchdowns. So do tell, Nick Wiggins, uh-huh. what is... The problem then with the Minnesota Vikings, if if they've got Kirk Cousins, who is throwing four or five touchdowns a game, what what is the answer for Minnesota? Is it their defense? It, it just can't hold on to anybody. Is it the well, fact that they get off to slow starts? What what's 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 the deal? Slow starts, I think, maybe missing Dalvin Cook and thinking that Madison can just fill that hole has been an issue. They don't have any consistent run game. You're missing that guaranteed 70 yards that Dalvin Cook was going to get you. But the defense is frisky. I mean, you got Brian Flores out there as the new D coordinator, so we all know that he can coach. But, I mean, look, you lose to the Buccaneers by three week one. You lose to the Eagles by six week two. Yeah, it's getting worse. It's not getting better. (laughs) It's getting worse. So I'm not you, counting them out. You you lose to Tampa Bay if you're a Vikings fan. Tampa and Bay's good. They're two and zero. Oh. They're not horrible. Ba- Baker Mayfield giving him credit where credit is due, but as a whole, now that we've completed the two weeks cycle of the NFL, going to be cre- treated next week to another Monday night doubleheader. You have the Eagles and Tampa Bay, and the the L.A. Rams and the Cincinnati Bengals. 
So it's going to be two really good games. Two 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 good games. The Rams one and one. Uh, and Burrow, uh, whether he plays or not, I, I still think Cincinnati starts off this season zero and three, and Baker Mayfield takes his first loss. So I'm excited to see a doubleheader on Monday Night Football, something we don't see enough of. But when you do look at the Jets, at least they were able to take the win in which Aaron Rodgers ruptures his Achilles. At least they're not sitting here staring at 0-2. So you do have a divisional matchup with the Jets and the Patriots upcoming this week. That's going to be the ugliest game of all time. And that Carolina Panthers-Saints game last night was super ugly. You know what we need to do? We're talking about the 0-2 teams who have hope. Who are the 2-0 teams who are, as the commenter in the app was using the word, frauds? Because all these teams aren't going to get in just because you're off to a 2-0 start. It's a good start, but... I think it's the Commanders. You think they're fraudulent? The Commanders, if you have to find that fraudulent, and the Bucks. Those two teams right there, starting off 2-0. The Commanders and the Bucks. Bucks ain't that bad. They might be better than the Saints, for real. Better than the Saints. Well, I, I know that you'll have to share that with Mike Haas. He'll be coming up at 4.30 this afternoon on the final drive. Hi, my name is Sherman Williams, former running back for the University of Alabama and the Dallas Cowboys. And I wake up each morning listening to WNSP 105.5. to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey Bounty, along with Nick Wiggins, joining you on this Tuesday afternoon. And we've completed two weeks of the NFL season. We've also completed three weeks of the college football season. And when you look at those that are undefeated, we were talking about contenders versus pretenders, the 0-2 right. the teams versus the 2-0 and o teams. And also, I, I know a former NFL running back Sherman Williams want to give him props for the wonderful documentary and the special that was done on him last night on CNN if you did not get a chance to see that you definitely want to make sure that we'll share it here on our WNSP 105.5 Facebook and Twitter pages as well so CNN comes and interviews the lifestyle changes that Sherman Williams has made and part of his Palmer Williams group and just making a tremendous difference, not only on the field with the Williamson Lions as an assistant coach, coaching the running backs, but now making a difference in kids' lives at High Point Park with the Cowboys organization. So it was great great to see him on CNN last night in the special that they had on him. And we, we were talking about the Saints winning and the fact how they did win They're ugly good, and the no. fact that the Steelers do win. You look at the defense, though, for the Pittsburgh Steelers, still finding a way to get it done. Deshaun Watson is one of those quarterbacks for the Browns. Is is he is he a pretender or is he a contender? Because the Browns, you look at that game last night, especially with the shocking Chubb accident, and I don't know if that – franchise is just cursed or whether they just continue to make bad decisions or if it's a combination of both yeah, but wrong it there. definitely 
should be a situation Maybe to where if you're looking stadium, at the Cleveland Browns, like they should be winning. Indian burial ground or something, and it's haunted. I don't know. I, I would I would have said last night that they were going to find a way, and people are complaining. You know, the Browns one and one. They're going to see the Titans this week. So the Browns and the Titans, without Nick Chubb, you mentioned how Ford was able to come in and make a difference in that running back position. Deshaun Watson, what are your thoughts about him? I, I mean, he comes back off-field off antics aside. Yeah, he's one of the top five highest-paid quarterbacks in the NFL. And you got to live up to what your contract is, so you would hope that he's playing like a top-five quarterback. I think last year we gave him a pass those last few games because, oh, he's working it back in. Can you really just pick it up in the, you know, the back half of a season like that? But now he's had a whole offseason. And now Chubb's gone. I'm concerned. I don't think. And, you know, you look at a lot of the quarterbacks in the NFL. No one's really. No one's really blowing me away, truthfully. Are we at a at a point in the NFL where. I mean, look at Mahomes. They won 17 to nine week one. They put up just right at 20 points. But are you a numbers guy? Because now you're you're chasing fantasy points. No, but there's a like a, a quarterback who can off his back, you are going to have an offense. It don't matter about your running Mahomes. game. It doesn't matter about Mahomes is that. I don't know if any other quarterbacks are doing that. Like it used to be Peyton Manning was doing that, Rodgers was doing that, Brady was doing that. You mean to tell me Derek Matt Carr Ryan didn't do that last that. night Phillip for the Saints? Rivers was doing that. Derek Carr didn't do that last night for the Saints? You weren't impressed with Derek Carr? Nah, dude. Derek Carr ain't even the best quarterback in that division. I think Baker Mayfield's the best quarterback in that division. What do you think about that, Corey? Derek Carr did not have a touchdown last night. That that That's never a good thing. He just thing. doesn't do anything that's impressive to me. But do I think that he is Derek Carr is, is a better quarterback than Baker Mayfield? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Why? I think Derek why? Carr. Why? He's a proven he's a proven winner. How many how many playoff games has he won? Derek Carr for for maybe maybe one. I don't think he's been to the playoffs. Corey. <laughs> with with <laughs> Vegas? He's been there. No. I, I don't know. I, I, Look, Derek Carr he played under Dennis Allen before and Dennis Allen lost his job. And I know he doesn't call the offensive plays, but the Saints gave Derek Carr basically a four-year, you're going to get paid like a top 15 quarterback in the NFL over this contract, you know, over like a $140 million deal or something. It just isn't, he's not worth what they're paying him because I don't know what Baker Mayfield's contract is. I bet it's probably it's not 10, Derek Carr money. percent of that. And he puts out just as efficient production as he does, if not a little better. And look, Derek Carr, he's got the weapons to throw to. Yeah, Alave's there. Thomas is there. Jonu Smith's Who looked good. better last night, Bryce Young or Derek Carr? Who looked better last night? Derek Carr. In what way? Bryce Young, did he throw an interception? No. See, did he throw a even, touchdown? Saying, it's, yes. not even, it's not even like by a big margin, but Derek Carr was able to get that team to a win. Bryce so, Young, he just can't move the ball down the field right now. He's not throwing more than 150 yards a game. 
here's the thing, and appreciate someone in the app. I knew Derek Carr had been to the playoffs, wasn't sure how many. 0-1. So one playoff appearance. But that does make him not necessarily a better quarterback just by a playoff game, but overall versus what Baker Mayfield has been able to produce in his NFL Let's career. Let's think about – let me make the Baker argument. Okay, go right ahead. Baker Mayfield got traded to Carolina – Right before the season started. Did not have any time to get ready, prepare, nothing. Then he gets traded to the Rams. All of a sudden, he's just there. No offseason preparation. You're there. He plays a game, and he wins it for the Rams right there toward the end of the year with Stafford being out. So he's never really had time to prepare. And look, we already talked about Cleveland being cursed. So can we really knock him for that? Now, all of a sudden... Here he is in Tampa Bay with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. And Mike Evans, he he looks like prime Mike Evans. And I saw a clip where Baker Mayfield was telling the other Bucks players in the huddle when they were playing the Vikings that he knew all their defensive calls. Like he had studied to where he knew everything they were going to call and what coverage it was, and he knew exactly how to execute to take advantage, and they end up getting the win. Derek Carr has always been the starter, the guy. He was in Oakland, Vegas, whatever, for what, seven years, eight years? Never did anything. Baker Mayfield now has had a whole offseason with this team where they said, hey, man, you're the starter. Let's see what you can do. And here they are, 2-0. and And look, Derek Carr's 2-0 and as well. I just, when you're talking about value, that's an expensive <laughs> used car right there, man. And Baker Mayfield, it's, you're just getting a better deal there. You, you, so, you, no, I'm not uh, someone saying I'm arguing for Baker Mayfield. Then I say how many playoff games has Derek Carr won? But ba- Baker Mayfield has done way less than Carr. Even Carr is light years better than Baker Mayfield. Light years, no way. A light year, come on. Let's, let's be for real. And – Baker has not played in the league as long or had nowhere near the great opportunity that Derek Carr had. And now Say Baker what? Mayfield has it. You, you really believe that? Believe what? About about Baker Mayfield not having the same opportunity that yeah. Derek Carr has had. Yeah, I just told you about how he, he barely ever gets a chance to really be ready to play. You know, who was I, the Browns' best wide receiver when Baker Mayfield was there? Probably Amari Cooper. I don't. Amari know. Cooper wasn't there. I, I, I don't know because I don't, I don't follow the Browns. It was exactly. See, I don't it, follow the Browns, and, and I don't no, follow the Browns at all. It was Odell Beckham Jr. and he didn't even want to be there. O, OBJ in a Browns uniform? No, I, I I don't see that. But what I do see is the fact that when you compare Carr and Mayfield, I'm gonna I'm gonna go. I'm going to ride the car all day long. You I'm going to get the in the car. car all day long. I'm going to head think, to the bakery. Yeah, I, I, I don't think the bakery is is cooking anything at all. I, I, I just I don't see that happening Look, for. I'm not saying Baker Mayfield is like way better. They're probably pretty neck and neck in terms of ability. But when you look at Baker Mayfield getting paid like $6 million a year compared to $35 million a year. You got to go with Baker in that regard. I mean, look, think about it. We Saints fans, 
Are you guys happy that Derek Carr, this is your guy for the next four years? Are y'all going to do anything with him? What's the peak of a Derek Carr New Orleans Saints team? You're not going to win a Super Bowl with this guy. So within why are you four paying years. him this much money? So so no way the Saints make the Super Bowl within Derek Carr's tenure. Oh, no way. Just no. not going to happen. It can, It's not. It's not. Unfortunately, Saints fans, I'm sorry. And and does that have anything to do with the <laughs> fact that you're looking at a division in which the Atlanta Falcons are in as well? I'm not sitting here saying Desmond Ritter is going to win us a Super Bowl. I'm just saying you've you put in, you've put so many assets into this guy. I don't think you need to give a quarterback a big bag unless you think you can really win with him. And I mean, Corey, you tell me. Do the Saints what's this how what's the farthest the Saints get in this four year contract with Derek Carr? I do believe they can make it one game away from the Super Bowl. So you think they can make it like a cha- an NFC championship? Absolutely. I don't know. Well, I, I I will say this. Here in a couple of weeks, we'll have a chance to see the Saints and the Bucks go head-to-head, and we'll see right. exactly what happens there. The final drive here will return on WNSP 105.5. Hi, I'm former Major League Baseball player Bernie Carbo. I listen to WNSP 105.5. Love every minute of it. Back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. The Saints, the, the it really wasn't impressive, but it didn't have to be because it equated in a, a victory last night for New Orleans. And we know that coming up in the next hour, we would talk to the voice of the New Orleans Saints if you were riding in your car last night or wanted a chance to listen to the Saints on WNSP. Mike Haas, the voice of the New Orleans Saints, will join us at 4.30, and we'll ask him just that. Can Derek Carr, does he feel that Derek Carr can take the Saints to the Super Bowl? And when you look at the way that the Saints are preparing to play Green Bay, next week that's going to be a huge matchup for them and we do have a lot of uh 0-2 teams that have started this nfl season and some 2-0 teams are not really expected to be there and sustain that i think one of the best 2-0 teams are america's team which is the dallas cowboys yes and the dallas cowboys dak prescott does not have to be super prescott no, for that defense to step got, up the way that they have. You got Michael Parsons on your defense. You can pretty much just mess around all game, and you might come out with a dub. Before we go to break, just want to go through the app real quick. Nick, you're forgetting any years that somebody spins at Cleveland. Yeah, I am. I think the Saints have a real chance to win the South Division, and I'm a Ravens fan. The Saints have a good defense. The Saints definitely have a good defense. So do the Ravens. And so do the Falcons, and the Buccaneers might too. The fact that Las Vegas was willing to let Derek Carr walk tells you everything you need to know. No team is letting any quarterback walk if they truly believe they have a shot with him. See, he gets it. Well, and then here goes St. David. Nick, you're crazy. Obviously, you're an Atlanta fan. So you have to remember that Derek Carr has not had his full complement of tools available to him. Uh, Alvin Kamara is not there yet. Yeah, I get that. So they're calling him Kirk Cousins light? Nah, come on now. But look, let's talk to Mike Koss. 
later. Let's start to Chris Gordy, Locked on SEC College Football next. The Sound of Mobile presents For the, win. the final drive. No, they didn't. Oh, my gracious. Yep. How about that? With Corey Labounty and Dick Wiggins. For the win. Yes. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. Welcome to our number two of the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey Bounty, along with Nick Wiggins, joining you on this Tuesday afternoon. We want to thank everyone for having us locked in and tuned in, whether that's on your radio or on the app. And, of course, if you have not downloaded the free Sound of Mobile app, you can download that to any Android or Apple device that you may have. That way you can correspond with us here on the app in the first hour we were talking a lot of the nfl as we completed week number two had a double header on monday night football last night but tremendous college football played this past weekend some shockers around the sec mainly tennessee's inability to go down and win at the swamp for the 10th consecutive time and when we want to whip around the SEC, I call on my man Chris Gordy, host of Locked on the SEC. Chris, how's it going this afternoon? Well, it's going good, guys. Yeah, I seem to remember. I think uh, it was all with you last week, and you said, uh, oh, the, the slate doesn't look that good this week yet, but that's always that dangerous spot. When you think that, you suddenly get a lot of closer games than you were expecting, and that's kind of what we got this past weekend. Absolutely. Any football is great football, even though the slate can be down a little bit. But I will say this. If you were to tell me that Tennessee would handle Florida by 13 points, I would tell you nuts. I think that Tennessee put up more of a fight toward the end of the game than they did the entire contest. When you look at the suspension of three Florida players and one Tennessee player at the end of that game, a nice little scuffle and a perfect boxing form shown there at the end as well. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Um, it was it was shocking. I mean, look, we had heard all you know all week long that both teams were expected to get their centers back, and then lo and behold, we get to the game and uh, you know Tennessee comes out and they didn't have their center. Cooper Mays missed the third straight game and it, it's had an effect on that offense. I mean, the tempo, the rhythm, it's just not there. Joe Milton uh, has not looked great through the first three weeks and everybody thought he was just going to step in and you know be a, be a reincarnation of, uh, of Hendon Hooker and it just has not been that way. And on the flip side, Florida getting their starting center back, Kingsley Aguacan, He's the field general of our offense. And getting Nick Glockin back in there opened up so many running lanes, so many holes. Trevor Etienne and Montreal Johnson just ran at will. And you know, I made the prediction for the season. I, I said I thought Florida was going to be a top-five rushing team in the SEC. And here they are now up to number six in the conference in rushing. And my thought is they're going to you know, continue to climb higher as the season goes along. So monster, monster win for Billy Napier. But – I think I said on your guys' show earlier, you know, last week, I think I said I was trending towards picking Florida. And then by Thursday and Friday of last week, I was all over Florida. I was telling everybody, that anybody that would listen to this, to take Florida in the money line. And luckily I did, made a little money off of it. But, yeah, monster <laughs> win for Billy Napier. And the whole thought of, you know, Tennessee is back. Hey, we're just going to win double-digit games every year. 
Not so fast. Uh, this thing is, uh, has come to a screeching halt for Josh Heifel. It really did. And, and we'll get to what I call the main course here in just a moment. I still was impressed. Anytime you can set an SEC record, an SEC record for a kick to win the game, what a huge win for the Missouri Tigers over a top 15 Kansas State team to start our day off in college football. It was, and, and look, I, I didn't give them a chance. I, I just didn't think, you know, based on how we've seen them play through the first two weeks, you know, they, they struggled to beat the middle Tennessee. Uh, Brady Cook had just not looked very good at quarterback, and, you know, they just, Mizzou didn't look all that good, and they put it all together, and they played an inspired game. I think they had a sell, it was a sellout. It was like their first sellout at, at Foro Field since 2019, and uh, first sellout game against a non-conference opponent at home since 2012 so it was a big game you could tell they wanted it kansas state has been one of the powers in the big 12 the last couple of years with dominant defense and really good run game and all that and i thought mizzou uh played i mean they played their best game of the year obviously and, and what a monster win for them now it, it didn't have to be as difficult as it was i mean a little you know a delay of game there with four seconds left to take uh you know it was going to be a tough field goal and make it even longer 61 yards but luckily harrison meath has been one of the best kickers in the sec the last couple of years he makes it and uh eli Drinkwitz gets to celebrate but man uh some coaching blunders there down the stretch but a monster monster win for mizzou we're talking with chris gordy of locked on sec man i was flipping channels and then i saw Georgia down to South Carolina, 14-3. to They end up making that comeback at the end to stay undefeated. What? That was a scare. Is Georgia going to be a team that might drop one of these games to this cupcake schedule, as people like to call it? That, that's the toughest part of the schedule. We said it before the season started. The hardest thing for Kirby to do was going to be, you know, it's a, it's a roster loaded with talent. How hard is it going to be for him to get these guys up and motivated every week and ready to play their best football? We saw through the first two weeks, they didn't do that, right? I mean, they, they, they were scoreless with Ball State after a quarter. Like, it's hard to get up for a game when you think you're, you know, it's an inferior opponent. And, you know, South Carolina, they were a heavy favorite. They were a four-touchdown favorite. And I kept telling everybody, I'm like, look, that's, South Carolina is too talented with Spencer Rattler back there. They're not going to they're not going to lose by four touchdowns. I just, I, I, I kept thinking they can keep this somewhat close. And lo and behold, South Carolina comes out firing. Their offense clicking on all cylinders. Spencer Rattler was not afraid to throw the football, take some hits, and they got a they got a big lead. And then Georgia woke up at halftime. They finally got their run game going with Dejon Edwards, and the defense played much more inspired. And they were getting after Spencer Rattler, unfortunately, they lose Juice Wells, and, you know, just the offense wasn't clicking as well. So I, I think for Shane Beamer, it's a big feather in his cap to say, look, we lost the game, but we showed we could go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the number one team in the country. And for Georgia, you know, I think Kirby Smart would rather playoffs like this. Like, had they won 51-7, to I don't know if, you know, like, I think this gives you more motivation as a team to say, look, on a day we didn't play our best, we still won by 10. So, uh, I know a lot of people are, are, you know, it's what we did with Alabama for years. When you're not dominating somebody, we start going, what's wrong with you? And people are doing that with Georgia saying, oh, Carson Beck, he's good, but he's not Spencer Bennett. Yeah, I mean, that's okay. They could still win playing that style. And, you know, maybe they have a couple co closer games this year than they had in recent years. But the bottom 
bottom line is you just win. And so, you know, if you told Georgia fans, hey, you're going to go undefeated and win a championship, but, man, you're going to have a lot of close calls, I, I think Georgia fans would take that. Do you think that it could prove to be an issue, though, with their schedule being so easy and having those close calls that when they do get toward the end of the year and they're playing the big competition that they might not be uh, ready for it or something? I guess, like, at what point are they so good that they're sleepwalking through games? And then at what point do we say, oh, there actually might be a few issues on this Georgia team? Well, it's a good point. I, I do think they will be tested, though. I think they're going to get Tennessee's best, best shot. They're going to get Kentucky's best shot. The problem with making overall – you know, generalization, uh, you know, comments in, in the third week of September is teams are going to look very different come the first week of November, right? I mean, a lot changes weeks down the road. So Georgia may turn it around. They may be just crushing everybody in a couple weeks. But, yeah, I mean, to me, the biggest problem they had through the first two games was they couldn't run the football. They finally got that going with Dejon Edwards. It was his first game back of the year, and he looked really good. So my expectations are they will they will run it at will. They will run it down your throat. Uh, I think Edwards will be a big part of that with the run game. So, yeah, again, it's there are big questions with Georgia. I get it. At, you know, not looking great, not looking like their dominant selves. But um, you're right. I mean, it is something to worry about if you get to the postseason and you're playing a Texas or a Michigan or something like that. But I think Georgia will be enough battle-tested by that time that they'll answer a lot of those questions. Your LSU Tigers, they showed up, and next thing you know, it's 34-7 to at the end of the third quarter, and I had to find out if there was an assault on the field because Caleb Jackson, the way he absolutely trucked that defender for Mississippi State, you know, they have a hit stick in Madden. That, that was unbelievable, that run, and the dominance that Jaden Daniels showed and the command that he showed from start to finish in that game was special. Yeah, that was the most thorough uh I've seen uh, in in the SEC in some time. Um, it, it was it was flawless. I mean, you know, Brian Kelly. They're going back and watching film on Monday. I don't know what you know what they're looking at. Like, you know, I don't know what what mistakes they need to correct from that from that game. It was it was as good as you can get. And you know, I think what a lot of people forget, guys, is you know the, the headline for Week One was oh LSU gets dominated by Florida State. But what nobody wants to talk about is LSU led that game at halftime. LSU it was a one score game going into the fourth quarter. And LSU had to get away from them. Uh, what nobody wanted to talk about was LSU had two red zone trips. They came away with zero points. Self-inflicted wounds where they shot themselves in the foot. And I kept saying, you know, if you correct those mistakes, LSU is going to be fine. They still put up 450 yards of offense against Florida State in week one. Week two, they put, you know, 500-plus yards on Grambling. I know somebody was like, well, it's Grambling. I said, yeah, but look at uh, Tennessee struggling with uh, – with Austin P struggling to score 30 points. LSU hung 70 on Grambling. I just was saying, like, look, if it was so easy to do, then why didn't everybody do it every week? Clearly there's something good with this offense, and we saw that momentum carry over into Starkville. And, uh, you know, look, Mississippi State may not be very good at the end of the day, but LSU to win that big in a conference game was, was awesome to see. And so I'm, I'm curious to see how they respond against a, an Arkansas team that still has a lot of talent this weekend coming into Baton Rouge. But, my God, guys, that line a week ago was about eight and a half in favor of LSU. And then based on how both teams played this week, that line went up to 18 and a half. So it's a big number. I don't know if LSU can cover. K.J. Jefferson's still a really talented quarterback. So I think I think Arkansas, even despite losing to BYU, they're not dead in the water. They're going to give LSU their best shot. But, yeah, it's, it's easy to say, at least coming out of week three, LSU certainly looks like, you know, one of the best teams in the SEC right now. 
Well, I tell you who we thought would look like one of the best teams in the SEC. That would be the Alabama Crimson Tide, regardless of who was going to play quarterback. And I know after week one, people were very high on Jalen Milrow. And then you had those wishy-washy fans who wanted Milrow gone after the Texas game. They got their wish, but they did not continue to get that wish as Alabama's offensive struggles against South Florida this past weekend, and now Miro is the man again for the Alabama Crimson Tide. You mentioned moments ago about not being the same team in September that you will be in November. I think that's what Alabama's offensive line, Alabama's coaching staff, and Alabama's QB1 is hoping for. Yeah, and, and I thought it was a mistake. I mean, look, Milro, did he play his best game against Alabama? No, but he still gave Alabama their best chance. I mean, it was a one-score game, you know, going into the fourth quarter. It, 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 it got away from him, and the two interceptions were not good. But I say, you know, my thought process is he's still got all the skills. He's your leader. Stick with him and let him work through it. And that's what I thought they should have done in, in the South Florida game is let him get some confidence back, let him go throw for five touchdowns and, and build off of that. Instead, they completely go away from his confidence, building up his confidence and say, we're going to go with the other guys and you're not even going to play in this game. And they come to find out, you know, there were rumors that maybe he, you know, Nick Saban kind of hinted at it yesterday that maybe he didn't carry himself in the best way following that loss. And, you know, uh, kind of forced him to learn from the bench this past weekend. And Nick Saban said he, he exhibited the leadership skills that he was looking for in, in being that bench guy and, and supporting his teammates and all that. I just don't know if this is the time to be trying to prove a point. You know what I mean? Like, we're in the thick of the season. We're about to get an SEC play. Are we really about teaching guys a lesson? And, hey, you better carry yourself better and all this kind of stuff. I, Nick Saban's just never been that guy. So, I don't know. I mean, there were rumblings that Tommy Reese really wanted to see Buckner and begged and pleaded for Nick Saban. Hey, let's give Buckner a chance and show what he can do. But I know this after watching that game, they, none of those guys hold a candle to Jalen Milrow. Uh, you know, some people thought, oh, Ty Simpson made a nice throw. Yeah, great. Uh, one throw ain't going to win you a starting quarterback job. So, um, yeah, it's it, it's dire straits in Alabama. And, man, from the, going from Tua to Mac Jones to – uh, you know, Bryce Young, It is they are light years behind what they had from those guys production-wise. And so, yeah, look, you go, you give Milrow the keys to the offense, you play to his skill set, you let him run when he has to, you tell him, throw the ball away when it's not there, and make the same throws. But they are going to get a, a tough, tough test from Ole Miss. Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin, uh, Lane Kiffin already playing head games with Nick Saban, saying, oh, yeah, I think they changed defensive coordinators over the weekend. I mean, just all these little shots that they're taking, and you know, Nick Saban, for the longest guys, the mantra was he doesn't lose to his assistants. His former assistants like Will Muschamp and all these guys could never do it. And now we've seen the last few years, Kirby broke through in one, Jimbo broke through in one, uh, you know, Sark just broke through in one. Lane Kiffin's next in line as far as former Saban assistants to try to beat him. And uh, if, if Lane can't do it on Saturday, I don't know if he'll ever get as good a chance to beat Saban than he will this Saturday. That's a perfect example of uh, assistant coach staying hungry. Now, staying hungry are the Auburn Tigers, and this is a team that has a chance to really, outside of Colorado, to be the story of the country if you're able to get off to a 4-0 start. An 11 a.m. kickoff, what I personally believe is a benefit for this Auburn team and getting started, taking on a 2-1 Texas A&M team. 
Auburn has to have great quarterback play and cannot turn the football over. Your thoughts on this A&M-Auburn matchup? Yeah, the more I look at it, guys, the more I, I think this is going to be a blowout for, for Texas A&M. I just – I've watched Auburn through the first few weeks. They've done a great job, but uh, quarterback play has not been very good. I mean, Peyton Thorne had his most productive game, but he did it against Sanford. You know, it took, it took Sanford for us to finally see him completing some passes down the field and obviously showing his running ability, which uh, I guess a lot of people didn't think he had. But uh, this is going to be a different animal. A&M's got a lot of four- and five-star recruits. Has Jimbo underachieved in College Station? Yes. Uh, should they have not lost that game against Miami? Yes. I mean, uh, you know, they, they, they have tons of stud recruits on that defense, and they should have played better. But uh, offensively, it's been good. You know, all the talk of the offseason was about Jimbo Fisher and Bobby Petrino. Are they going to butt heads? Look, the offense has been really, really solid. Uh, Connor Wegman has, has played his butt off. And I just feel like it sounds like they're going to get Evan Stewart, Stewart back, Noah Thomas. They got some big stud wide receivers, man. And I just wonder if Auburn can cover them all day. I think a and going to score and score a lot. The question is, can Auburn keep up? I just don't think they can. And so I'd love to see it. It's going to be a huge test. But I think Hugh Freeze was kind of letting us know yesterday going, guys, you look at this stretch we're about to go on. This is as brutal of a schedule as anybody will face. I think that was him kind of setting up the fans saying, look, don't jump ship if we lose one or two of these games. We're still we're still going to keep battling and building this thing for the future. I just I just don't think Auburn has the horses to uh, to win this game at College Station. With it being an early game, I think it's advantage A&M and Kyle Fields. All right, so I, I, I we'll see how your prediction holds up there as your Gators prediction was pretty good one week ago. And I know that Mississippi State looking to bounce back off – that beat down that they took the LSU they're playing South Carolina so South Carolina is without one of their best backs who I do believe broke his foot in that game versus Georgia so who do you like out of Mississippi State and South Carolina yeah the, the thing is so Juice Wells you know he, he came back from injury breaks his foot he's out but they still have Xavier Leggett who has been you know one of the top receivers in the SEC so far this year it just comes out of this. When you give Spencer Rattler time to throw, he could be a really good quarterback, and he has been very productive. He can make all the throws. Um, you know, can Mississippi State get after him? And, you know, based on what I saw this past weekend, Mississippi State was not they, – they, they only sacked Jaden Daniels, I want to say, once or twice. They just had a hard time getting after him. So, um, State's got the weapons, man. They, they just – they are a cluster right now. They don't know what they are offensively. The Kevin Barbe hire – is looking like a train wreck. I don't know why they wanted to move away from the air raid system when your offense is all already set up for the air raid. Like, it, it, somebody brought up to me, it was kind of like Arkansas years ago when Bobby Petrino left and uh, they brought in Brett Bielema. Brett Bielema wanted to play Big Ten football and just pound the rock and run the football. And yet they had under, undersized offensive linemen. They couldn't play that style. It's the same way with Mississippi State right now. you got a bunch of guys and an offense set up to run the air raid, and you're trying to run a traditional – you know, offense where you're going to run the football. And, and obviously, Will Rogers has not looked good so far. The run game looked good until they played LSU. So, uh, big test for Mississippi State. But, I, look, South Carolina, Shane Beamer, you got to bounce back and win this one at home. I agree with you there. The last matchup here, Kentucky and Vanderbilt. Of course, Vanderbilt, two games in or two and two, which is a shock to a lot of fans. But I think Kentucky absolutely paced Vanderbilt. Yeah, Vandy shot themselves in the foot last week against UNLV. They should have won that game. It was one of the rare times where Vandy was a four-point road favorite on somebody, uh, but they didn't get it done. And I think this is a big payback spot. Uh, Vandy got 
Kentucky sleeping last year, and I think Mark Stoops is going to have this crew ready to play. Devin Leary has been uh, he's been really good, man. He's kind of picked up right where Will Levis left off last year. Had a 300-yard passing game this past weekend with with three touchdowns. Ray Davis is top five in the rushing, uh, top five in the SEC in rushing right now. So uh, I think Kentucky's got all the weapons. I think they'll come in focused, and I think they'll probably be more Kentucky fans than Vanderbilt fans there in Nashville this weekend. So yeah, I expect Kentucky to go in there. Uh, you know, maybe win a close one, but get out with the victory and improve the four and Chris, always love spending time with you, my brother, as we swing around the SEC. And how can people follow and be locked on the SEC the same way you are? Yeah, just locked on SEC wherever you get your podcast. Today's show talking a lot about the Alabama quarterback and some of the conspiracy theories that are out there. So we'll continue to kick that around this week and see if Ole Miss can pull off the upset or does Alabama get their uh, rights wrong to bounce back this week. Chris, thank you so much. Look forward to talking to you next week, my friend. All right, thanks, fellas. Chris Gordy, locked on SEC, joining us this afternoon. Doesn't favor the Auburn Tigers. Thinks that they will be handled by Texas A&M in the early kickoff. Yeah, he said and a blowout, right? Yeah, he says they're going to get handled, and we'll see if they're able to go ahead and, and find a way to have some bite in College Station, which I think they will. I think Auburn's going to be just fine because the good thing is when you're sitting and waiting and waiting and waiting on a quarterback to break through the way that Auburn fans have, he's going to be due. And this is, to me, going to be the game that Peyton Thorne comes out and shows himself along with Robbie Ashford both making the difference but what if you're for the Auburn Tigers. And you're waiting and you're waiting and it just doesn't happen. Well, the Auburn well, Tigers are 3-0. Wait and wait on my car to start flying i'm gonna be there forever different between your car flying and the auburn tigers being three and oh yeah. because one is happening and has happened and one is not we'll be right back hey this is amari cooper you're listening to sports radio wnfp Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. And don't forget, coming up next, Mike Haas. He is the voice of the New Orleans Saints, and they come away with a big-time win last night on the road versus the Carolina Panthers before facing the Green Bay Packers next week. It's a short week for the Saints, but you know that coming in. Anytime you get that Monday night opportunity, you have to be ready to play, and the Saints it didn't have to be pretty for them to win, but look forward to getting his insight, especially on David Carr. Yeah, Derek Carr. Oh, oh excuse da me. David that other Carr, Carr was an NFL quarterback, though. Uh, his older brother. The other Carr. Long-time backup. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, we'll talk about that. Jamal Williams, he left with an injury. Um, I think they have one more game to go before they get Kamara back, so we'll see how that goes. Callers, I see the phones lighting up, but we got to get to our next guest, Mike Haas, the voice of the Saints. You heard him on the station last night broadcasting the game. So we'll hear what he has to say, what he saw, what he's thinking about their matchup next week. So all you Saints fans, you're going to want to tune in now. And I guess if you're not tuned in, you wouldn't have heard that. So if you know one, text them and tell them to tune in. This is The Final Drive. We'll be right back.
Hey there, this is Bob Baumhauer, ex-jock, head fry cook, and I listen to 105.5 WNSP, Mobile, Alabama. WNSP 105.5 and yes the Saints did go marching in to Carolina last night and they went marching out with the W more importantly the voice of the New Orleans Saints joins us next Mike Haas how are you doing Mike well I'm a lot better than I was yesterday afternoon at this time because a win can kind of cure all ills and that's the only thing that matters and there's no style points. There's no judges for eights, nines, and tens. It's clearly W's and L's. And uh, this team did what it had to do when it had to do it, which is probably the most important thing. And get out of Carolina with a W and an NFC division win, a road win. I mean, so many things were accomplished last night. Um, not, it ain't it ain't done. They're not all, it's not all fixed, but. You take it one at a time. I know Tony Jones Jr. to me is one of those stories of hope. You look at being elevated from New Orleans practice squad and making a difference in the game along with Blake Groupie, the kicker, the rookie kicker for the New Orleans Saints. Two names that probably four weeks ago not a lot of New Orleans fans would have known a, a lot about, but here after week two of football, now all the Saints fans are starting to believe in these two guys. Right. So Tony Jones specifically, because he was here and was given some opportunities, never the opportunity like a last night. And that's kind of like a running back's kind of dream, if you will, in that there is nobody else. It's you. So you're not going to be subbed out. It's you. You're going to get the ball. And Dennis Allen told him, look, be you, be the bruiser that you are. And maybe we've never run Tony Jones enough in the past to get to the point where he could be that bruiser. I don't know. But even he said after the game, you know what? I mean, his livelihood is on the line. I've been with three teams in the last few weeks. This was it. You know, there, you can only get so many opportunities. And the fact that he was released by Denver – and so he makes, you know, a, a, an obvious pickup for the Saints because he knows the scheme. He knows what, you know, the plays per se from Sean to Pete Carmichael. And so he was a fit, but I, I never anticipated. I thought he was an insurance policy. I never anticipated that he would be the guy. Uh, but, man, he, he showed when his back was to the wall what he can do and Kind of the same thing with Blake Groupie. I just feel his, you know, we, we saw this in the final preseason practice when it was still undecided. Will Lutz, Blake Groupie, and the practice was in the Superdome, and he made everything. Blake, but so did Will. <laughs> Let's be honest, but so did Will. But it was, he had this air of confidence where he would just kind of hop and bop like, you know, he was the man, and it was and we saw a little bit of that last night. And take whatever you want with the size and everything else out of it. His job is to kick the ball through the uprights, irrespective of distance and anything else. And 
and his kickoffs have been ginormous. So those two guys, you're right. Four weeks ago, I would have said uh, maybe on the practice squad. I don't know, but and to be such factors in for Blake, really the first two games um, has been. Uh, it's a great story. You know, you talk about tough wins, ugly wins, blowout wins. At the end of the day, like you said, you're only marking down W's and L's, and the Saints were able to pull out a W last night. But that offense isn't, I don't think, necessarily humming at the level the Saints probably want it to. Do you think that has to do with Alvin Kamara still not being there, or is this a schematic thing, you think? I think it's probably a little bit of both. You know, again, this is, you know, I'm, I don't know the plays. I don't, I don't pretend right, to right. sit in here and I'm, I'm not deuce, right? Mm-hmm. But what I see is an offense that is so intent early on just give me the three out. Give me the Olave turn. Give me the Mike Thomas turn, two, three yards. Whereas where they've been successful, because teams, quite frankly, can't cover Olave and Rashid Shahid has been to, to take a deep early, but they, they, they don't. But the, when they do, third and seven, third and eight, with the game on the line, <laughs> when you least expect them to, to take that dagger throw is when they have been most effective. Now, great catches on all ends. Mike Thomas with the, uh, you know, the bun catch, as we, as we call it, and Olave with the ESPN, you know, spectacular one-hander and then Shahid on the huge 42 or 45 down the sidelines it's I think it's there it just feels like if that were there were a little earlier you might loosen up that defense a little more and we might see a little more uh balance but you know it all kind of begins up front and Derek Carr has not had a lot of time I mean it, it's the pocket just crumbles in front of him and that has to change, but that can change if you have some success throwing the ball deep early. Mike, my partner and I were talking earlier. I do believe that within the next four years, Derek Carr is going to have the Saints in an NFC championship game. And I'm not saying the Saints to the Super Bowl because I think they're going to continue to improve when you continue to gain pieces around Carr that are going to be vital for him to win. But as far as this year's Saints team is concerned, I know it's just through a couple of weeks and you always are going to see room for improvement. But when you do see defensive performances out of Demario Davis and Cam Jordan being kind of quiet, Demario Davis did have a great game for the Saints defensively last night. Can this Saints team right here not only first and foremost take care of the division, but do you feel that they can make it? to an NFC type or make a deep run in the playoffs? Uh, yeah, I do. I mean, one, quite frankly, maybe um, far more significantly harder to get out of the division than it was in the past. Three teams at 2-0. and um, and It's early. I, I get that. Uh, but yet, clearly off to better starts than, than they were last year. It, to me, the the, the, the the best part of this offense is yet to come. I can assure you, and we know for one thing, at no point during training camp did Derek Carr turn and hand off the ball to Tony Jones Jr. At no point during this training camp did he turn and hand off the ball 
to Taysom Hill. Not toss, but hand off the ball with his arms, you know, like a, like a running back. Uh, take the ball. So this is, this is like a, you know, we're just doing stuff. This is going out there and drawing up in the dirt. Um, and so when this offense gets to be back where it can be health-wise, and I think, you know, we've seen one throw to, to you know, of, of note to Foster Morrow, zero to Jimmy Graham. Juwan Johnson didn't do a whole lot. I feel like the tight ends, when they get more to their role, um, that will open up the likes of an Olave and Thomas. But Olave and Thomas spent the night doing down and outs for four yards just to get – it was like that was their running play until – Tony Jones got in the second half and went, you're it, dude. You're the only guy. So run it. So I, I feel like this is this, this offense that we've seen in week one and two is nothing like we can see later in this year. When you get a Kendra Miller healthy, he was very close. And I don't know about Jamal's situation, but Kendra Miller, Tony Jones, Alvin Kamara, and – use these wide receivers. There's been nobody yet that I can see that can cover Rashid Shaheed, period. Um, so I, I think the best is yet to come. I, it's hard to look at these games. There were alignments and plays that I was like, I've never laid eyes on before. Um, so I, I think the best is yet to come. I do believe that th this offense is nothing like what we will see later in the season. I agree with you there. On the short week, anytime you're on Monday Night Football, you have to prepare for a team like the Green Bay Packers. I know that the Packers are coming off a heartbreaking loss to the Atlanta Falcons in which they led for most of the contest, and then within the last four and a half minutes of the game, implosion happened. So the Packers are going to be focused and try to be sharpened up for the Saints. But looking forward to this Packers-Saints matchup, how do you see the Saints improving here on this short week? Well, it's going to be tough because it's, um, you know, I think they will get Kendra Miller back. And, again, Jamal, I don't I don't know. Hamstrings are tricky. This will be the last game without, without Alvin. I feel like, as Derek Carr said last night, you're going to ride this defense. This defense, so far, on third down, there were 4 of 14 last night, 2 of 12 the week before. So they have 6 of 26 defensively on third down. So they're getting off the ball. Uh, the third downs have not been third and one, third and two. They've been third and five, third and six. So they're doing well on first down. Uh, you're getting some turnovers, not as much as you, as you would like, and kind of erase the turnovers that you are getting. The turnovers that the Saints have had – and Derek Carr had just been two ill-fated throws, one in Tennessee and then the, the other last night. You can ride this defense. This, this Green Bay offense is solid, but they're kind of growing, you know, and we don't know the situation with Jones, the running back. They don't have a strong wide receiver core. Uh, you know, he's young. Uh, Jordan Love, been around, but he's still young, almost like a Desmond Ritter. But I just think you just kind of keep doing what you're doing. It's not going to be pretty. These are not going to be pretty games until this offense finds itself. I mean, how much did we talk about tight ends down the seam, tight ends, back shoulder throws, this and that, and we've seen zero 
of that. So I don't, I don't. I think this offense is doing what it has to do week in and week out, given their opponent and given their opponent's strengths. And boy, you almost got to feel a little bit for Carolina. I mean, that what they've gone through in two weeks, probably three players of star caliber on IR, if not more. Um, you know, we've we've been there, done that, and so it's just about playing to the level of your competition. Go to Carolina, run the ball. They got more, you know, hundred plus last night. Um, Play solid defense, be opportunistic, to get into those third down situations and come out with a W any way possible. Then you come home to Tampa and it just will feel like, I mean, 2-1, and 3-0, and oh, that is a victory in your first three games. But 3-0 and oh is by far the goal. It it really is, and and the Saints are two and zero. Don't you know the two and zero Saints? Last night after the game, a little bit of altercation. Don't know if you saw this between Derek Brown and Michael Thomas. Apparently, Derek Brown or Michael Thomas went into the wrong locker room, and they had a nice little pushing match, a little exchange there. That it was probably a little bit more feisty between those two after the game in the tunnel than it was during the game. Yeah, I don't. I, I cannot believe that in this day and time. Now, if this were college football, they would never let this happen. But for whatever reason, the the teams go in opposite directions. They literally have to cross each other like a railroad crossing at about the twenty yard line when they're going to their locker rooms. And even we went to the break at halftime, but Deuce was like, "Hold on, just watch, just hold on." And sure enough, before it was over. They were pushing and shoving in the middle there. It's like it's it's a system built to fail. And, you know, the fact that it's Mike Thomas and, and Derek Brown kind of is a little strange. I'm all for it. The, the best Mike Thomas you can have is a mad Mike Thomas, is a, a tight Mike Thomas who has a chip on his shoulder. If you tell Mike Thomas he can't be the guy of 2019, he's old and he can't make the move, man, I'm all for it. Because he rises to that occasion. And, you know, I think there's a, a level of frustration in Carolina that man, they're watching Shaq Thompson and, and you know, J.C. Horn, Brady Christensen go down, and it's just three weeks. And, I mean, they dominated week one against Atlanta and lose because of turnovers. And last night could have gone a bunch of different directions. Uh, so they're 0-2 and losing players. So I, I can see the frustration there, but I ain't got no problem with Mike Thomas being Mike Thomas because when he's at his best is was when he's mad. Mike Haas, the voice of the New Orleans Saints, and we can't thank you enough for taking time to give your point of view on what you were able to call last night. And again, with WNSP being and broadcasting the New Orleans Saints, it's always great to hear your voice and your insight after a New Orleans Saints victory. So look forward to catching up with you very soon as the Saints continue to hopefully pile on these victories. I, you're right. That's the key. Just keep piling victories, and these phone calls will be a piece of cake. <laughs> right? And so just keep doing what you're doing. There's no no massive changes. It'll be a short week, so that'll be tough, and we'll have to see the injury situation. But all in all, other than Jamal Williams that I could think of uh, right off the top of my head, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But I mean, you've seen what other teams have gone through injury-wise just – Keep doing what you're doing. Go to each team, and this team's always done pretty well on the road. Just keep doing what you're doing.
Mike, thank you so much, and we look forward to talking to you very soon. You bet. Go Saints. Mike Haas, the voice of the New Orleans Saints, and we'll be here to wrap up the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Don't forget, 5-6, to six, Chavis Furniture talking football. Scott Hunter, Tracy Turner coming up next here from 5-6. to six right after we put the finest, fine finishing touches on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. This is Andrew Zell, Alabama former quarterback. You're listening to WNSP 105.5. Henry Blackburn, I want you guys to record this and run with this. Uh, Henry Blackburn is a good player who played a phenomenal game. He made a tremendous uh, hit on Travis on the sideline. You could call it dirty. You could call it he was just playing the game of football. But whatever it was, it does not constitute that he should be receiving death threats. That that's This is still a young man trying to make it in life, a guy that's trying to live his dream and hopefully graduate with honors or degree, uh, committed to excellence and go to the NFL. He does not deserve a death threat over a game. At the end of the day, this is a game. Someone must win, someone must lose. Everybody continues their life the next day. Very unfortunate. I'm saddened if there's any of our fans that's on the other side of those threats. I would hope and pray not, but that kid was just playing the best of his ability, and he made a mistake. So I forgive him, CU, um, our team forgive him. Um, Travis, is he's forgiven him. Let's move on. But that kid does not deserve it. About Henry Blackburn, you know, and that's after a lacerated liver was yep. sustained by Travis Hunter. Well, you know, Travis Hunter, is, he's at home now in a giraffe onesie making yeah, videos, so he he's is. fine. But to make a death threat about the game of football is beyond ridiculous because we saw the same thing happen at Gillette Stadium with the Miami Dolphins fan punching a Patriots fan, and it wound up killing him. Patriots fan Dale Mooney, a father of three, dead after a punch at a football game by a fan. Got to be better. I mean, and it goes all the way down to Little League, right? You see those viral videos where the Little League parents will get in fights and stuff. We just got to be better. Like Dion said, like the best coach in college football just said, <laughs> forgive him. It's just a game. It you is gotta just win a game. You got to lose. It, it, it's just a game. You come out on top or you come out on bottom. That's it. Death nowhere near should be correlated within what happened. No and to make death threats, I hope they find out who made those death ball. threats. If you're doing that, you're a cornball. Uh, if you're sending the messages like the Vikings running back Madison was getting, you're a cornball. You're an idiot. Be better. Be a person. Be a good human being. Got to be just, a great human being. You can being. be competitive. You can be upset at a mistake. But there's, there's, there's ways no to need go about for death threats. That's right. And, and, and you're not going to be able to get a life back. So Dion was preaching words of wisdom there and... God bless not only this young man, Henry Blackburn, but the Patriots fan who passed away as well. Don't forget, coming up next, Chavez Furniture talking football. Tracy Turner's in the building. Hopefully, Scott Hunter's on his way as well. Have plenty to talk about with two great matchups coming this week in SEC play. We'll be right back. Hour number three coming up.
Huddle up. It's time for Chavis Furniture's Talking Football. Stay with us as Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner discuss Alabama, Auburn, South Alabama, the SEC, and college football around the country. Brought to you by Bayou Fasteners and Clutch and Powertrain. Call now at 694-1055 or join the discussion on the Sound of Mobile app. Welcome to the Chavez Furniture Talking Football Edition here with Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner. And boy, oh boy, do we have plenty to talk about today because you look at when we left this studio on last Tuesday, we were looking at possibility of Auburn being 3-0. and We were looking at Alabama looking at 35-point favorites against South Florida. And had no clue that two days later, Coach Saban was going to make the decision to bench Jalen Milrow. Did I think he would ultimately have a seat during that game? Yes, I did. But I didn't expect them to be sitting the entire four quarters. And Auburn, I didn't expect them to struggle in the first quarter against Sanford 0-0. Zero to zero. But boy, oh boy, did they turn it on in the second and fourth quarters against the Bulldogs. And of course, we can talk about <clears throat> the Alabama Crimson Tide and Nick Saban's decision to bench Jalen Milrow. But, Scott, you being one of the greatest Alabama quarterbacks of all time, did you see or did you feel that the other two quarterbacks were going to struggle the way that they did? Well, I think what they were thinking was let's give uh, the, the other two guys, and, of course, Initially, it started with Buckner, mm -hmm. and if Buckner, I believe, had been lighting it up and, you know, finish, you know, 24 of 31 for 300 yards and four touchdowns, you likely would have never seen Ty Simpson except probably in the last quarter or so mopping up. But Buckner was struggling badly, and Simp uh, Tyler, Ty Simpson, uh, he came in, and then he did a little better, but the, the bottom line is both quarterbacks had an opportunity to, to take that job at that particular in that particular game to go out there and show that they could take that job. Neither one rose to that. So therefore, it's back to square one. Start Jalen Monroe Monroe this week and see what happens. And we'll talk more about what how they can craft the game plan as a, 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 and I expect him crafting the grant game plan to to help Jalen with some of his throws and reads and so forth I know we already have a caller on the line here to the Chavez furniture talking football 251-694-1055 is how you can call in and chime in and talk with us caller welcome to the Chavez furniture talking football no thanks uh, I like to call every week Scott, uh, do you think we're at the point where Alabama is just ordinary? Boy, that's a that's a that's a really <laughs> good question, man. You put me on the spot here early. Uh, I, I don't think there's enough evidence yet. This is Jerry, right? Um, yeah, that's I, correct. I don't think there's enough evidence to say they're ordinary. I just think, uh, as I said to, on a radio show today, when I was on a radio show early. I, I just don't think this Alabama team has been born yet. It's still in the womb waiting to come out, if that's a 
That's a, a great nice analogy. Way, uh, way to say analogy. it. And, and yeah. it's got all kind of promise, just like the one that's coming out of the womb, but it just hadn't come out of the womb yet. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm thinking that, you know, the, uh, the top-tier teams, uh, they always seem to have a, one strong part of the game, you know, something that's dominant, uh, or maybe two parts. And uh, I wonder, do you see something like that in Alabama? Well, I, I, let's not forget now uh, the way the Alabama defense, particularly after their rain delay, I mean, really stepped it up. Uh, the quarterback, the South Florida quarterback, was having his way with Alabama before the rain delay, was scrambling, he wasn't really much of a passer, but he was scrambling pretty well. And after the rain delay, they uh, got together and they stopped that. And they pretty much, you know, put a halt on South Florida. South Florida had a few plays after the rain delay, but recall the game, they couldn't put two plays back to back. And so Alabama's mm. defense rose up, and it was an old-fashioned Alabama win, if you will, and I had long since said we wouldn't see games like that much anymore, but there yeah. was one. So give Alabama's defense credit in that. I know everybody's all in a, you know what, over the quarterbacking and the offensive operation and execution, but uh, give Alabama's uh, defense uh, credit in that. Yeah, sounds like the old New York Giants when the – Defense comes off the field and tells the offense, see if it can hold them. Yeah, you know, I, re I was telling somebody at the Y <laughs> about a, a story Bart Starr told me. He said one year he was the most valuable player in the NFL, and he said, you know, they forgot about that game against the Bears in Chicago in September when I threw two interceptions. Willie Wood picked <laughs> off a pass and ran it in for a touchdown, and we won 10-7. to They kind of forgot about that game in the MVP voting. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, I think, you know, there's, I'm sure that down the line uh, they're going to forget about this uh, struggle against uh, these last teams. So, yeah, to me, the real winner Saturday was that South Florida coach. Mm -hmm. uh, the, you know, he came with Russian parents that came over here. Nobody spoke English. He didn't. Came at seven years old, and, and there he is coaching against Alabama, and, and they had a great scheme. They, I mean, he that guy – Believe me, that guy is on a lot of radars right now for a big-time coaching job. Uh, that's good. I think that's, that's one of the things that makes college football so interesting is some of these stories. Yeah, what, what was his name, uh, Golan, or help me here? Uh, that's right. Uh, was it Golan? So I used the term uh, uh, they taught me when I went to Russia, Ochin Hodoshaw, very good. <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks, guys. I'll uh, I'll turn it back over to you. Talk to you next week. Appreciate you for calling in. And, Tracy, when you look at Auburn, it, and it's amazing to where when you score that first touchdown, what it can do to open up the floodgates. Auburn, if you were to say the game was 0-0, at the end of the first quarter against Sanford, I know you would probably be like, oh, oh, wait a minute, something's really, really gone wrong. But not necessarily what went wrong. It's just a matter of waiting until they get it right. Well, they turn it over four times Saturday as they have the last two weeks, and they won't get it right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, you can turn it over four times. You can make horrible quarterback decisions with the ball in the red zone. Scott, what is it you told me about Coach Bryant telling you about throwing the 
uh, interception in the in no, the end zone. Taking a sack in the in in the red zone in the field goal range. Well, I guess it's even worse than to throw a, <laughs> a interception. Well, yeah, that that was forgiven. <laughs> but tell me, don't take a sack when we're in field goal range. You'll be you'll be standing over there with me. You know, so Thorne is rolling out and tries to force the ball into a lot of coverage and throws an interception and then throws another interception in the red zone and then you fumble in the red zone. And so let's just say that's nine points that you gave away. That's as Co I'm sure Coach Freeze is not happy with those kinds of decision making. Now, some of the other things we saw stretch the field vertically, throw some really nice deep balls, um, which forces the defense to not be able to lay up and play the run. So, But you, you don't turn it over four times at Cal and then you turn it over four times again. And If that happens against A&M, it'll be not a happy – what's the song? Oh, happy day, it won't be a happy day. You, you find a way to go ahead and come away with that win and you know that, all right, now all eyes are on Texas A&M. And Peyton Thorne is that type of quarterback I said earlier today on this show. I feel that – he has not gotten into that offensive rhythm yet, and he's due a big game. And playing at 11 o'clock a.m., do you think that that is advantage Auburn or disadvantage? Would you rather play College Station, home of the 12th man, at 6.30, or would you rather go ahead and catch them at 11 o'clock well, in the morning? Well, it's, it's interesting you say it that way. I had never thought of it putting that way. Whether it's advantage Auburn or disadvantage A&M, I don't think it's an advantage for either side because I don't think anybody likes to play at 11 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> but I think it's a huge disadvantage for the home team. So I think it's less of a disadvantage for the visitors because you're already in a disrupted schedule. You know, you're not like sleeping in your bed. And you're not, so – uh, and, and it's not like your travel where you went to the left coast and played late at night or everything either. So it's already sort of a messed up schedule. So I think that's less of, of, a, of a disadvantage. And it also is uh, generally you have a slow arriving crowd. The crowd's not really into the game. So that vaunted 12th man that you have in College Station maybe is just eight or nine men when the game starts. He, he, hasn't, he hasn't gotten off his pillow yet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I hate to play 11 o'clock home games. I think I, I just can't remember where my home team has really risen to the occasion and played a great game. They may win, but mm -hmm. they just seem to be. So I think it is an advantage for Auburn because – of A&M needing that 12th man. But in the end, I just saw a statistic that since two the, the guys that will be on the field playing, I think it was 2019 or 20, Texas A&M has 15 five-stars, and Auburn will have zero on the <laughs> field. So now, does that mean that a third-year three-star can't beat a five-star? No. A three-star is a guy that says after two or three years in the program, he should be able to play. There's a lot of those, a lot of those transfers. Avery Jones, Britton, Gunner Britton, uh, Dylan Wade, you know, those are guys that got looked over, but now they're not looked over. They can play, uh, but Auburn needs zero in the turnovers. It's going to have to It's gonna have to be Auburn not turning the football over. You're correct. I, and, and one, if you have one, 
because you're trying to overthrow and you have a battle at wide receiver or something, okay, I, I can understand that. I, I can live well, yeah, with one It's turnover. third and 15, yeah. and so you go for a 50-50 jump ball, and he intercepts I'm it okay 42 yards down the field. Yes, same okay. as a punt. Keeps me yeah. from having to yes. punt. Yes, All right. I'm but with you. But not when I'm in the red zone because no. I'm giving away points. And that's something this team cannot afford to do. Nor sure. fumbling a punt. They fumbled two of those now. Special uh, teams. As, as we know, uh, maybe everybody listening, you know, that's why they listen to the show to maybe get a little information. Keontae Scott, who had been playing great, was nickel, uh, was a junior college All-American, one of the top junior college players. He had solidified the punt return game, seemed very solid. He's out. Don't know how long he's out. I believe yesterday he had the same procedure on his ankle that Tua had. Oh yeah, after the Mississippi State game, pass through. So whatever that is, where they, you know, so he's out three or four weeks at least. Yeah, Uh, you know, high ankle sprain is six to eight for that kind of guy. For some of those lows, as you called us, you know snot blowers down there it was still a couple of three weeks but for a speed kind of guy uh but luckily if auburn had been playing a&m last week you probably would have seen nehemiah pritchett and donovan kaufman but both of those kaufman was in the concussion protocol why play yeah i agree you didn't know keontae was going to get hurt but as it was you get a red shirt freshman uh, to go out there and have a really good game. And so now you got another guy that you know has, has played and maybe you can count on. So, But I, I suspect you'll see both Kaufman and, and Pritchett, Pritchett this, this week. It'll be big time. We'll be right back here on the Chavez Furniture Talking Football Edition on this Tuesday on WNSP 105.5 to talk about the 3-0 Auburn Tigers How about? and what it will mean to be 4-0. And we'll also talk – the big time win for the South Alabama Jaguars program. Go Jags. Going on the road and whooping up on a Power 5 Oklahoma State team. Chavez Furniture talking football. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Philip Rivers, football coach at St. Michael Catholic. You're listening to WNSP Sports Radio. Welcome back to Chavis Furniture's Talking Football on 105.5 FM, live at WNSP.com and on the Sound of Mobile app. Once again, Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner. Well, South Alabama clearly is a good team. And they've been mm-hmm. all, kinds of, beat all kinds of people. But the, the dominance they showed, it seems to be a, a red alert for, you, for your team to be dominated like that. Well, we got exposed. I mean, when we went into the game, what happened to us is what we have to avoid happening to us because we're not far enough along, we're explosive in us, and then we got set back when Stribling went out of the game to be able to get behind and rally back and then be able to rush the ball some and balance the game being down three scores. Then defensively, we get into a different mode because now we're trying to at least just get on top of them, come after them, stop them, get the ball back as quick as possible because the clock's working against us. So we kind of get out of our box in both sides. Um, and I'm not saying what they, what you're saying is not correct because the, end, the final score ended up being that way. Um, we don't get to do this, but I'd love to have a chance to play them again. But unfortunately, we don't get that chance. But I said this in here last week. They, they're good enough to play in a Power 5 conference, in my opinion. And I think uh, he's doing a really, really good job coaching. They have good coaches, and they're getting good good players. You know, they put 
I'll be wrong in my numbers, but they put like a hundred million into facilities there. I don't know if you guys know this. Um, they have a they have the largest indoor football training center in the state of Alabama, and they're within a four hour radius of a lot of football players. That's going to be an up and coming program. The guys doing a good job. We still played poorly and didn't execute and didn't get it done, and we sh we still we. we we, we should have played at a higher level and give us a chance to win the game. But what you said is correct. They are a good team, and they've got a good setup going on down there. That the voice of Mike Gundy, the head coach of the Oklahoma State Cowboys, got in high praises given to yeah. Kane Womack, yeah. and that's after taking an absolute beatdown by the Jaguars. And that helps you get on the recruiting radar for a lot of potential recruits that you normally wouldn't get on their radar, particularly expands your uh, recruiting a little wider, you know, Texas, maybe Louisiana, and so forth. Uh, so, yeah. And, I mean, obviously, South's not going to go out and sign, probably beat Alabama, Auburn, Florida, you know, LSU for players, but there are a lot of players out there, and all you got to do is get, you know, get a touch with them, and potentially uh, you can get them. The visibility is what's great, Scott. Correct. You're absolutely 100% yeah. correct. The visibility of Mobile, Alabama being a destination football place. Well, Joey and I, Jones, when he was coaching, would talk, and boy, he said, if we can, the reason I'm trying to play the Tennessees and so forth, and, and uh, he played, I think, Navy one time, mm -hmm. maybe Army mm -hmm. and so forth, or schedule, and if I can beat those kind of teams, I can get on the radar of a lot of recruits. And that's huge, and a lot of recruits were able to see South Alabama be victorious. Now, going back to the Alabama Crimson Tide, you played the quarterback position. You know, you, you would you consider yourself, Scott, in today's day and age, uh, a dual threat quarterback, or would you consider yourself a pocket passer? Because certain offenses, certain offensive coordinators – and certain head coaches will label, and you'll have quarterbacks that'll come out that'll be labeled as a pocket passer, as a dual threat. Uh, you know, I would be clearly a pocket passer. Uh, I, I couldn't run out of sight if you gave me all day. You could still see me <laughs> at five o'clock in the afternoon running. So, I hear you, Scott. I, so, but uh, you know. Running quarterbacks are wonderful, and I'm glad that a lot of guys have great legs and can do it. The LSU quarterback is terrific at it and so forth. But by and large, in today's football, if you're going to play at a high level and you're going to beat a Georgia or an LSU or a Texas, you've got to be able to throw the ball effectively uh, very well because beating those kind of teams – uh, when, say, an LSU with Joe Burrow comes to town, you've got to be able to score 40, 42, or 45 points uh, to beat teams like that. And that's why college football has sort of mor morphed into a uh, sort of a NFL light, if you will, with three wide, four wide uh, passing schemes and quarterbacks reading coverages and, and hitting people downfield like Quentin Ewers mm -hmm. did with Texas and so forth. So yeah, that's where it's gone. It doesn't matter what kind of quarterback you are if you can't protect the quarterback. And one of the <clears> things, Scott, I don't know about you because you're the one who had to take those licks, whether it's at Viger, whether it's at Alabama, whether it's for the Packers, if you weren't protected, okay? When I see an offensive lineman give up a sack, and I'm speaking on Caden Proctor, Caden Proctor gives up a couple of sacks, 
But in those situations, he doesn't help his own quarterback up at all. Just leaves him and goes back to the huddle kind of like, yeah, okay. Does that disappoint you at all from a quarterback standpoint when you go back and you review that on film to see your big 300-pound offensive lineman not only give up a sack, a couple of sacks, but not even willing to help you up either? As I told our starting right tackle, a rookie, uh, at Atlanta Falcons when I was playing with the Falcons who was taking on Jack Youngblood who was a good friend of mine but all pro for the Rams I said don't worry Warren uh, about blocking him and don't worry just in the second half just start holding him uh, and don't worry about what happens to me back there because Jack's going to put some on me don't worry about that you just concentrate on your job which is to try to pass block Jack, Jack Youngblood and eventually as the game got along in the fourth quarter, he began to have some success, and I had some success. But I don't worry about anybody picking me up and patting me on the back. I don't need that. I just need you to pass block Jack Youngblood. And, and that's one of those situations that Alabama's offensive line I don't think has lived up to its own expectations yet. And I think that the best is yet to come for this offensive line, and we have not seen the type of explosiveness that we would like to see yet out of this Alabama. Well, I, I think Tracy would tell you probably the biggest mismatch in football is a freshman offensive lineman. Mm -hmm. I don't care how good he is coming out of high school. And and Caden Proctor obviously was one pretty of good. The, one, number one in the nation, yeah, I guess. pretty good. But Tracy will tell you, you know, he's a freshman. And he's going against a guy over there that's been in college three or four years, been in a weight room from age, you know, for three or four years. And there's no way a freshman from a skill standpoint, a technique standpoint, and maybe a strength standpoint is going to match up with a 22-year-old man that's over there rushing. I can see it right now. My my son was born in January, so he obviously, if he could have gone to certain schools, and I won't call the name of the coach <laughs> one, he could still be a senior in high school this year, okay? Well, when he went to South, he weighed 184. He weighs 205 now. And he just said the other day he went to Auburn because South was out there, and he's red shirting. He said, I tried to put my jeans on, Dad, and I couldn't get them over my thighs. You know, he looks whole different. If he was going against high schoolers with the body he has now as compared to what he was last year, it would be a whole different. And that's it doesn't matter how you are as a freshman when you get to college. Those guys that have been there three years, one, they've been through a lot of those 5.30 or 6.30 in the morning uh, workouts or colorful metaphor usage language treatment that you get in college, okay? Uh, it isn't. It isn't Sunday school, all right? And uh, they're different. As Scott just said, they're men. And it, to ask, that, that's why you don't say, I can think of them. I think I, I can remember two offensive linemen at Alabama that started yeah. as freshmen. Smart, Smith, the back Andre, in the day. Andre, Andre Smith. And, and Alex Leatherwood. Uh, played yeah. some late in the year, you remember. Yeah, well, he came against Georgia and did a great job. But it. those, that's a... Uh, that's a rare situation. Now, a year from now, Caden Proctor may be All-American, but he's he's a freshman. He's a freshman. And there's some tricks mm -hmm. that when you're having to block against rush guys that you just sort of learn. 
when you give up five sacks, as Alabama did this past week, you, you, you're looking at, okay, I'm yelling. Well, who at my, gave them up? I, I would say. Who, the, who gave up the sack? The, the, the offensive linemen allowed. Their, well, they got well, wait a minute. Was it the offensive line or was the quarterback holding the ball? I will say, okay, I will say three of them would be the offensive line getting beat by their man. Okay. And Th- I would say two of them, the quarterback was holding the okay, ball. Okay, so the offensive line got three sacks. Yeah, I would w- say three sacks. One of those sacks was the back who should have picked up uh, right, off, right off the left to Proctor. He just whiffed. So two of those sacks were on the offensive line, not three. And the quarterbacks had the rest, and that back that whiffed had one. But now y'all all are talking about why it's harder for an offense to gel yeah. and and look good because if ten look good and one looks bad, the whole offense looks. You get tackled and you know if the back steps too far up, it doesn't check what's coming out here and therefore he can't slide out to pick it Correct. up quick enough. Just because he took one step too far up, that's the reason when you've ever been to any of these college practices, they scream and holler so much about alignment and proper steps because that's just one step too far up and now you can't get back out there to pick that guy up. And I will say this too, also not to be overlooked is the fact that one starting offensive lineman, Tyler Booker, did not play, yeah, he did not play. start. He had so, uh, back so spasms, a, yeah. I think, because Back Coach spasms said, yeah. and wasn't able to play. So yeah. you and take him That's going to help. He's a senior. Yes. Or upperclassman. And that's going to help out the freshman on the left of him. Making the checks. He's going to say, hey, yep. on this one, let's do this, let's do that. And Tracy knows all these games that offensive linemen used to play. But if you don't have a, a upperclassman in there saying, okay, that guy's coming on the outside hard, let's do this, let's do that, you know, you lose that. It's very rare as we go to break right here, someone in the app does chime in and say Cam Robinson started as a freshman. It's very rare that you see a true freshman come in and get an opportunity to play against 19, 20, 21, 22-year-old grown men. And it's always advantageous when you do have veteran offensive linemen around you that can help you and coach you through those mistakes especially on the road but it's not often that you do see a true freshman to come in and get an opportunity to immediately start for a power five school especially somebody with the name university of alabama across their jerseys Corey, i know we're going to break but think about this the two that you named for alabama where did they wind up playing in, in the, the league, I can name only two I can think of, and I'll probably miss one out. Steve Wallace mm-hmm. played with me. He didn't start as a true freshman, but, you know, I told you that's that Coach Bryant thing. We played too deep on the offensive line. We played ten offensive linemen, and Steve ultimately by the end of the year was sort of the starter more. And another little guy you might know, he's real tiny, Willie Anderson. Yeah, Stu Meat. Stu Meat yeah. had an Those opportunity. Those two both played. Didn't Steve win four or five Super Bowls? Yeah, it was 49ers, wasn't it? 49ers, <laughs> yeah. you know. So, I mean, generally when you do see somebody step in and play as a true freshman or start as a true freshman, they're really good. Absolutely. <laughs> and the Chavis Furniture Talking Football Tuesday edition here on WNSP will continue right after this. This is Jason Caffey. Thank you for listening to WNSP 105.5 FM. 
welcome back to Chavis Furniture's Talking Football on 105.5 FM, live at WNSP.com and on the Sound of Mobile app. Once again, Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner. Welcome back to Chavis Furniture Talking Football. Scott Hunter, Tracy Turner here with me in the WNSP studios. And every Tuesday, we get an opportunity to talk college football and you can join in on the discussion, 251-694-1055 is how you can join us. And when we were looking ahead, Scott, a few weeks ago, a tremendous honor bestowed upon yourself and you being part of that A club and being a historic Alabama great quarterback, being honored for those who get a chance to go to Bryant-Denny and witness this 2.30 kickoff on CBS I guarantee it, sometime during the game, you're going to see some, not to date you, Scott, but some black and white footage of <laughs> you a, running through the mud. You sound like my children. <laughs> Dad, you got any color pictures? There's <laughs> only black and white. <laughs> some black and white footage there of Scott Hunter's greatness against Ole Miss. And Scott will be honored before the game as an honorary captain, along with another Alabama legend, Johnny Musso. Yeah, I'm proud to be out there with Johnny. I've often told people of all the great backs I played with, high school, college, and in the NFL, John Brockington's from Ohio State. And so Johnny was the best all-around back that I played with. And I say all-around, obviously everybody knows he could run the football, but Johnny could run routes. He could catch the ball. He made some great catches on throws that I made him. Particularly, we were playing Houston out in the Astrodome. I think he caught eight passes. Uh, he could block. I mean, just a ripper blocker. And there's nothing he couldn't do. He was a total all-around football player. And if you ever, when you looked at the then film, you saw Johnny doing more without the football in a game than he was doing with the football. So that's just an awesome, awesome honor for our very own Chavis Furniture Talking Football star, Scott Hunter. And when you think about Ole Miss coming to town, I know that you had some great robbery games with one whose last name ends in Manning and his first name being Arch. What do you remember most about your time playing Ole Miss? Well, uh, most of the memories people ask about are the 1969 nationally televised game. Coach Bryant and, and Coach Bott decided to move the game when ABC asked them to from the afternoon game to an evening game and televised it nationally. And it was a, it was a gamble by ABC that uh, people would watch from California to New York, from Wisconsin to Louisiana, watch a college football game on Saturday night in prime time, particularly Alabama and Ole Miss. And, but the ABC executives told me, you know, some years later the, uh, that they had great ratings and, and it was just a dream game for them. Tracy, I know that next week you'll have an opportunity to have a, a reunion of sorts with your Auburn brethren as Scott's going to get up and be the honorary captain for this coming week's game against Ole Miss and it's going to be a fun SEC opener for the Crimson Tide to see if Alabama fans across the country are sitting on the edge of their seats for four quarters or whether they'll be laid back. And I know that, Tracy, the teams that you played on at Auburn will be honored next week, but it's a great chance for you to 
build up that relationship and that reunion with some of your old buddies that put on that orange and blue as well? Well, Corey, I'm looking forward to seeing them again. It's uh, going to be with somewhat of a heavy heart. This is the first time we will have gotten back together as a team since we lost Coach Die. Uh, the last reunion we had was at his farm, and I can still see him dancing out there when we were on the dance floor after we'd all got together and we watched film and talked about how we got cheated out of the 1983 National Championship and on and on. You know, So it'll be bittersweet to not have him there, uh, but it'll be good to get back and see everybody. You just realize how blessed you are and how many of your coaches – uh, and your teammates and your trainers. You know, uh, this past year we lost Hub Waltrip, who was our trainer at Auburn when I was there. And he would tell a story. Hub was about 5'8", and he said, when I got to Auburn and played fullback, I was six foot, and look what happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so uh, I got to spend time with him. We broke this and broke that and everything else. So, uh, But I'm looking forward to it. Uh, but none, none, none of that will be real fun if they don't win Saturday. And it's an opportunity for and oh, you mentioned at the top of the show to where this is the pivotal game for Auburn. And when you circled on the calendar, you said, look, UMass, that's going to be a W, no matter if you freezes the coach or not. When you do look at the 2-0 and start going out to the West Coast, you were like, it may be a struggle win, but it should be a win for Auburn. You definitely said Sanford. You know that that's a 3-0 and start for Auburn. Now 4-0 and to become a reality. Coach Freeze talked about it in his press conference yesterday about the, the, the Terradrome schedule that is coming up for the Auburn Tigers, the buzzsaw that's coming up for the Auburn Tigers, meaning that you go to 4-0 and and a couple of votes in the top 25 here or there to me, I know making six wins, bowl eligibility was huge for Auburn fans getting in Hugh Freeze's first year. But what do you think would be the momentum swing being 4-0, and Tracy? 4-0 and in a first-year head coach who's turned over 40 plays. Well, it, it, everything is just set up, Corey. You know, you have to step out and you have to perform. That's why they kick the ball off, and it's ceroid-shaped, and it, and it bounces funny ways. And sometimes the best team doesn't win on any one Saturday. It's the team that was best prepared and most mentally alert and sharp and, and, and the will and the drive and all of that. But, you know, this is a tough place, the home of the 12th man, all of those recruits I was just talking about, great coaches and a new offensive coordinator, forgetting anything about any reputation you heard, he is as good an offensive mind, their offensive coordinator, as it is in college football. It is a tremendous challenge, you know. But uh, you step up, you win the game, and then the next one is even bigger. Yes, it is. And mm. it's going to be a lot of fun to So see I'll that talk challenge. about it next week after we it. win Saturday. I, I love it. I love it. You know, and, and, and it is it's – a, it's a, a situation for Auburn – they're they're used to going on the road now as far as from a west coast you go as far as you can outside of hawaii to play a, a non-conference matchup that gets you ready for this conference but it play. wasn't anywhere as loud as 110 yeah nine, something like rocking. that in college station and it is a canyon it is oh it, yeah i mean it's it is so tall uh, with the renovations they've made and uh 
you know, so it'll be a real challenge. I was just reading about the two, uh, the uh, 2013 team that went out there and faced Johnny Manziel. He had lost earlier in the year to Alabama 49-42 in a shootout. And, you know, they go into the fourth quarter down 10 points and find a way to get ahead and then keep him out of the end zone and win. And, uh, you know, I don't think Auburn will win if A&M scores 42 points. I'll no. just say that. <laughs> I, I, I will say I agree with you there. Now, let me ask you this. From a former player standpoint and seeing what revenge means, waiting 365 to get back at it, Cadillac was able to engineer his first win as interim coach. Had the Gatorade uh, dumped on him, did a nice little dance. I was there. And Baxter was up on an unofficial visit and got to go in the locker room and, ex oh, and experience sure. that. And it was a cold, windy night yeah. in Auburn, but it was a warm feeling. Do, do you think that Texas A&M has forgotten about that? No, or, they haven't. Or the, the highlights, the, the, the celebration in the locker room that they can hear from across, do they use that? In their favor, taking on the Auburn Tigers. No, I don't. I, I think it does help you focus. Okay. Okay. And 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 look, that's the main part about being prepared, is preparing your body. Yep. Okay. That means getting in the training room. That means eating properly. That means hydrating. Cause how hot is it going to be at 11, 12, and one o'clock mm -hmm. in College Station? You need to be preparing your body. This sounds a whole lot. Scott, I bet you heard some of these <laughs> comments right here. Prepare your body, prepare your mind, you know, the mental part of it. Don't have to be thinking because a thinking man plays slow. Yeah. Yeah. And and you you can't play this game slow. You got to play it fast. So. Well, the commercial breaks come so fast here on the Chavez Furniture Talking Football segment. We only have one segment left. It's yeah, the we got to get some, some some scores here. And, and we'll talk a little bit more about Auburn and Alabama both opening SEC play and what it's going to take to ultimately come away with that first SEC victory for both of these teams on the other side of this break here on WNSP 105.5. <laughs> Hey, this is Coach Tommy Tuberville, and you're listening to 105.5 WNSP. Welcome back to Chavis Furniture's Talking Football on 105.5 FM, live at WNSP.com and on the Sound of Mobile app. Once again, Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner. As we round out Chavis Furniture Talking Football, Scott Hunter, the keys for Jalen Milrow being successful and Tommy Reese's offense against the Ole Miss Rebels? Well, I think uh, thinking about what Tommy could do and, and likely will do uh, since Milrow is coming back up to start again is pull the game plan down to what he can execute very well in the passing game, and that's throwing faster rhythm throws we used to call them three steppers but now they're you know they're in the spread so you get the ball boom the ball is gone and work all week on that kind of stuff and so start the game out with that kind of stuff and he starts hitting those throws uh with good reads and starts hitting those throws and his confidence goes up and i think that's what tommy is likely gonna have uh, milro uh, doing Looking forward to that matchup for sure as all eyes are going to be on Alabama's quarterback position. Now, let me ask you this. Being a former quarterback in this first SEC matchup, how much patience do you think Nick Saban is going to have with Milrow if the offense comes out and struggles for some reason? 
I don't even know. I mean, that's that's a tough question. Let's go back to what I just said. That better work. <laughs> Come or, on, preach. Or preach I, I don't know what you do. Yeah. If if that doesn't work, I mean, quick rhythm. I used to call it the Pittsburgh Steeler uh, Plan B. You know, Plan A was go back seven steps, hold the ball, and look for a receiver. Plan B was go back three steps and let it go before the Steelers got to you. And I think that's what they're going to try to do Saturday with with Jalen Milrow. And, you know, hitting those receivers in space quickly and giving them a chance to run can create some big plays. And I think that will pick up the crowd, pick up the whole team, and pick up everybody. So let's just look at it that way. And I don't know what's going to happen with if it doesn't happen that way. Tracy, Auburn, what do they have to do well? And what are your predictions for their big battle with A&M? They can't turn the ball over four times. They need – I mean, this all sounds – what is it, cliche? cliche yeah. But you you can't do it and win a football game, okay? So, you can't get a whole bunch of penalties. You can't be a, behind the chains, as we say. You don't need to start off first and 15. Or have a good run and get a holding penalty and and that's first and twenty. Those things can't happen. So you got to limit the penalties. You know, thirty yards not inopportune. You you got third and one in the red zone and you get an illegal procedure penalty because somebody doesn't get up on the ball or because they don't pay attention to the snap count or they get intimidated and move because a blitz is coming or all the things I can talk about. You can't do that and win this game. All right, so. Uh, I really want Auburn to win, but I, am I supposed to pick with my heart or my head? Hey, listen, you can pick with either one because you're not going to go wrong with either one. Uh, 31-27, somebody. Uh, Alabama's going to win a game against Ole Miss. 30-24, uh, 30-27, something like that. A really good, exciting game. Scott? You concur with that kind of and, high scoring? And to add to what Tommy Reese is going to try to do is also with the running game, Ole Miss is not exactly very stout mm -hmm. up front defensively and can be run on, uh, particularly if you're throwing quick rhythm passes and have the safeties backed out where they can't come up and give run support. So look for Alabama to also try to get the running game uh, going in conjunction with the quick rhythm passing. So you got to score, Scott? I'll say I'll go with you. I'll say 31-24 Alabama. Okay. I, I like how about Jags? Look, we'll talk about Central Michigan coming to town. Central Michigan played Notre Dame this past week. They and, played Iowa and played already, too. Yes, two tough matchups. So, Central Michigan looking to humble the Jaguars. Four o'clock. Hancock-Whitney Stadium kickoff. Can the Jaguars sustain their success and go ahead and move into their toughest matchup and – which is James Madison in the first Sunbelt Conference game, a James Madison team that put the nation on notice by a big win over Virginia earlier in the year. And who beat uh, Troy. Yes, 16 this past to 12 week. this past weekend. So before we get kicked off, who you got, Alabama or Ole Miss? Or old sis. Roll Tide. <laughs> now, you're picking with your heart or your head. <laughs> Both. What, you, Both. Got, what <laughs> you got in College Station? I, I like Auburn. Auburn comes away, and you're going to come in here – uh, a very happy Auburn Tiger on next Tuesday. I like Auburn in the upset. Well, I hope you're right. <laughs> and that's with my heart and my head. Both choices, Alabama and Auburn as well. I like coming away with victories in the SEC. And it's always great when you look at, especially next week's schedule, 
you're, you're all SEC next week. This week, you do have a lot of SEC schools that are still dibbling and dabbling outside of it, of course. You look at Florida non-conference, UAB is getting a chance to play Georgia non-conference, Memphis and Missouri non-conference. But the following week, we go back to that all-SEC slate. So looking forward to that and seeing you guys back in here next Tuesday. Good job, Corey. For Chavis Furniture Talking Football Edition on WNSP. 105.5.